You're listening to the Sewing and Growing podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Hey everyone, this is John. We have something really exciting for you today. And I know I say that anytime we have a guest, but we as a staff had an awesome opportunity to have a Bible study with pastors Mark and Trina Hankins. And the sound quality might be a little different, but we snuck the microphone right into this Bible study and we wanted you to be a part. So I hope you enjoy this awesome opportunity to have a Bible study with Pastor Mark and Trina Hankins. Let's jump right in. Praise the Lord. I'm going to give you a real simple yet very important message for your whole life. And that's on the subject of H-O-P-E, hope. Hope. Uh, Three things abide forever means they are eternal. Eternal forever. So it will never change. Faith, hope, and love. We seem to know a little bit about love. Seem to know a little bit about faith. Uh, but a lot of times people that think they're living by faith are not really even living in Bible hope. <laughs> Bible hope. Very powerful, very eternal thing. And it must be significant or they wouldn't designate three different things. Well, faith gives substance to your hopes, but if you don't really have any hope working, then your faith really is, has nothing to give sub, substance to. So, when you talk about hope, uh, the definition of hope in the Bible is definitely different than what most people think hope is. Most people think hope more is like just wishing, you know. Hope is much more powerful than just wishing or even just a possibility. Uh, hope literally is uh, the word expectation. Mm-hmm. It's just the word expectation. Your expectation, so you've got scriptures like Psalm 62, verse 5, which is really, really a cool scripture. Very important. It says, My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is on him. Notice he uses the word only. My soul, so he's talking to himself. My soul, wait only on God. (laughs) For my expectation is only on him. So Bible hope really doesn't even work good if you can't get into the only thing. In other words, you have to isolate your expectation and keep it only on God. And so if your hope or your faith is not working, a lot of times the problem is you're, you're having trouble with your expectation. And sometimes your expectation has not been isolated only on God. You kind of got one eye on God and, you know, other situations and people. So it will uh, cause you to live in uh, some disappointment in your life. But God is faithful. So once you determine that, then you put your expectation only upon God. So, and uh, when it comes to hope, he says in uh, in Romans fifteen thirteen, what does it say? You bubble over, mm-hmm. right, with hope, mm-hmm. you know, joy in the Holy Ghost, yeah. right? So last night was kind of like that, wasn't it? It's like really, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're like bubbling over with expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're expecting 
uh, so God to uh, one translation says expect God to act mm -hmm. in other words quit looking on uh, other people right. so for your faith to give substance to that then you have to isolate your expectation so uh, he says also in um, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 through 20 uh, he says that your expectation or your hope is attached to heaven in the very presence of Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, it attaches to the mercy seat where Jesus is seated. Your hope reaches beyond the veil. And it says, and that hope is an ex expectation, but that hope is an anchor yes. for your soul. Well, Paul knew a lot about anchors. I mean, he's like in four shipwrecks. So, <laughs> so, so he'd been through some storms, right? So you think Paul knew anything about why would he use anchor for like an illustration uh, for, for your hope or your expectation is like an anchor. And um, that anchor holds you steady, keeps you in place when you're going through difficulty. It's like an anchor for your soul. So I guess uh, years ago we were preaching in San Diego, so we went to see the USS Midway, which is in San Diego. Anybody ever seen that? You can take a little tour. It's really very interesting. It's an aircraft carrier. Uh, would hold, I think, 5,000 servicemen and women, 5,000 people on one ship, you know, more than we had in our town growing up. So then it's kind of like a little city, you know, on a ship. And so you uh, go see how the jets take off in four seconds you know they lift off from that deck going 120 miles an hour or something like that and, and then they have to come in and land on that deck and then they and the uss midway was used i think in a vietnam war and maybe world war ii uh korean war maybe a little bit in desert storm and then it retired san diego so you can take a little tour so my uh, very fascinating, you know, imagine having to sleep in those little bunks, you know, <laughs> be out there for months and months and months, yeah. and then uh, where you eat, all that. But uh, my, my favorite part of the whole ship was we went into the uh, anchor room. So we went into the anchor room. Um, it was actually, they said, the largest room on the ship, wow. the anchor room. And so if you walk into the anchor room, then it had like these uh, spindles all around the room, and they had this giant chain that each link weighed, I think, 150, 200 pounds. Each link weighed 150 pounds. So this chain goes all the way around the room, and that chain is connected to a 40,000-pound anchor. Wow. <laughs> so the anchor is gigantic, and the, the chain goes around the room. So when the when the anchor goes down it is so heavy that they said the whole ship vibrates everybody all five thousand people know the anchor just went down so now let the wind and the waves do what they do but we got a forty thousand pound anchor and here when when paul says about this anchor he said it will not slip so it is attached to something way beyond this world in heaven itself. So I want to read this in the, uh, the Passion Translation real quickly here. And uh, the Passion Translation, the King James is pretty good, uh, Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. But the Passion Translation says, 
Um, now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. See what it says in the King James? What does it say in the King James? We, we uh, have fled for a hope. Anybody look that in your Bible? Or you, y'all, y'all want me to look it up here? Hebrews 6, James. 18. King James says what? By uh, which? Two immutable things. Uh, by two immutable things in which we are. Impossible for God to lie. Strong yes. consolation. And then it says, we have fled for a refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. So basically it's saying we actually ran to hide ourselves mm-hmm. for a refuge. Mm-hmm. So you must be going through a difficult time. Mm-hmm. Ran, it says, or he ran into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. And it said, this is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time. Mm. An unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat in the heavenly realm beyond the veil, the sacred threshold in where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us and he is now and forever our royal priest. So he says... We ran for a refuge to hide ourselves in this hope. Mm-hmm. He said, and we run into God himself and his faithfulness. And he said, this is like an unbreakable anchor that holds you to God himself. And he said, in the anchor, actually, the chain reaches beyond the earth into the very presence of God and attaches to the mercy That's seat. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Wow. Praise God. So you would never, as a believer, be hopeless in any situation if you learn what true Bible hope is. <laughs> right? It's an eternal thing. It goes beyond this world. Mm-hmm. And your, your spirit, your heart connects you to the faithfulness of God. That no matter what kind of wind's blowing and no matter what kind of waves, your anchor, unbreakable, will not slip, will not drag, will hold you in place in a, in a storm or in a trial. So now let's go look a little bit more at this word for hope because it really means a positive expectation. But it really means a little bit more. Like it means a cheerful, Let's try that one more time. (laughs) Your expectation is so strong that it causes your whole attitude of your life Mm -hmm. to maintain a positive expectation. So you have a cheerful, confident expectation that God is faithful. This is your anchor for your life. And you, if you live long enough, you will have things happen in your life that you cannot explain, that you do not understand, that literally will shake you to the core of your emotions and your life and the way you view life. And you you can even let that make you a bitter person, disappointed person. But if you're a God person, your hope 
your expectation is only on God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good, man. All right, so four kinds of expectation. You can write this down. Four kinds of expectation. Very simple. And you have to deal with yourself. You're, you know, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt said, if you could find the person that's giving you the most trouble in this world, you know, and kick them in the seat of the pants repeatedly, you would not be able to walk for a week. That's a good one. So, so um, Norman Vincent Peale said, you know, the power of positive thinking. Uh, and if you go through a, if you go through enough of a challenge. Sometimes you have to really break your faith down and your, your life with God down to the very simplest yeah, elements. Of like, uh, you can't get too complicated. It's just like, just help me have a couple of positive thoughts. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, you're dealing with something that's kind of shaking you up. So uh, Norman Vincent Peale said, the most difficult person I've ever had to deal with is myself. Right. So... If you're having trouble with yourself, imagine the people that are working under you. And you get negative on them, and you're like, hey, buddy, you know, you've had your own problems the last 40 years. So don't be, you need to be more patient with other people when you consider that you have to deal with yourself. And you are the most difficult person. So you have to deal with your own thought life, your own attitudes, your own expectation, right? Yeah, All right. So, uh, four kinds. Let's keep it real simple. Dad Hagen said he was talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, you notice all of my sermons were very simple. He said, if you hear anybody teaching anything complicated, you know they didn't get it from me. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever heard anybody preaching something a little complicated? And you're like, so I don't think they got that from Jesus. So Jesus always used real simple, like illustrations, you know, that really anybody could understand. And so when it comes to uh, faith, hope, and love, you just got to come right down to these are the three things that really should dominate. That's good. Yeah, it's good. Our life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Greatest one is love, but really all three of them are so significant that they're eternal. So that means you're never going to get past uh, dealing with these three subjects. When you get to heaven, I don't know. Maybe you have to go to class. I don't know. You might have to be in a class. And we'll be going back over this again. Apparently, the devil got kicked out over something. So, <laughs> so we don't want you to get kicked out. So uh, four kinds of expectation. And just write these four things down. Let's see. Number one, we call it negative, negative expectation. Uh, negative expectation is some people have kind of developed a negative expectation. It's kind of a, a fear-based thing. Mm -hmm. The problem with negative expectation is your expectation has the power to produce. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's a very powerful thing in your life. And so if you don't deal with your expectation, it will determine your destiny. Yeah, that's true. And, and the length, the height, the depth of your life. And someone said it this way, when it comes to God, you determine the depth of your life with God, and God will determine the width. So, so you and I have to determine the depth of our life with God, and God will determine 
the breadth or the height. In other words, the influence of our life, how far can it go? And it cannot go beyond your depth. Mm -hmm. So your depth and your understanding and walking with God will determine how high you're going to reach and how far you're going to reach. So you determine that. So you're dealing with yourself and your expectation. Number one is a negative expectation. And uh, negative expectation is like, you know, anytime something comes up, you're like, well, there you go. Uh, something bad, you know, always something bad come up. You know, if it can, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong at the worst possible time. So most people really develop a negative expectation and they don't realize it affects them, their children, their family, their yeah. future, as they have uh, had bad experiences, and so they just kind of live with negative expectations. Second kind of expectation, we call it, is neutral, neutral expectation. So there's some people just kind of, they don't really have a positive expectation or negative, they have what you call just neutral. Uh, in other words, they just kind of deal with whatever's gonna turn up. I call it turn-up expectation. Like, you're going to get up in the morning, you shave and brush your teeth, you know, and get a little breakfast, and then you kind of live from day to day, just whatever turns up, you know, that's kind of like uh, what happens. We're eating here, you know, and uh, we just kind of don't really have no positive because we've kind of been disappointed. We don't really uh, have real negative. We, we're just kind of living, you know. We've developed our own philosophy of life, and we live that way until we die after we've walked our dog <laughs> for 40 years. Everybody in Colorado walks their dog. I mean, we're staying at the hotel and people up this morning walking their dog. They have giant dogs, they have little dogs, medium-sized dogs. They have old people like your, like this old guy, he's out walking his dog. You're like, how long has he been walking this dog? You know, it's like your, your purpose of life has come down to this, you know, me and my dog, and I make sure he, Make sure, even I saw on the news uh, this morning, they have some new organization to make sure all dogs are, all dogs are treated with a medical help when they need it. <laughs> like not necessarily people, but we make sure the dog, you know, it's a good old dog. Somebody says, oh, we gotta take care of that dog. So, um, you know, it's pretty low uh, level of purpose in your life, but you know, dogs seem to appreciate it. So, everybody's uh, <laughs> not walking their dog. It's kind of living, breathing until. Don't mess with Tasha's dog. Yeah. Oh, what is that? What kind of dog she got? What kind of dog is it? <laughs> poo. Oh, anything with a poo, you know, is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my daughter's got two of those special ones, you know, that cost a lot of money and they yeah. expect me to pay for it. See, that's what you call. Misguided expectations. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have negative expectations, and then you have neutral. As people don't, they're not really positive, not really negative. They just kind of breathing. You know, prefer to get a better cheeseburger. They just kind of living. So the next expectation is called misguided expectations. Misguided. So. A lot of us have had misguided expectations. Mm -hmm. Misguided, the, the basic Bible story about misguided expectation is the story of Naaman. Mm. Y'all remember the story of Naaman? Is, uh, Naaman was a great, great general, ruler, 
powerful, influential man, but he had leprosy. And um, no cure for it. And so he had a servant that knew that there was a prophet in Israel that apparently had a reputation of people getting healed of all kinds of impossible situations. So the servant says, hey, guy's name Elisha, we'll, we'll go, uh, we'll take you there. So he loaded up, you know, his chariot and he took, you know, a, a nice offering with himself. So he must have heard that was appropriate. And so he brought a nice offering and uh, he comes in and to Elisha, you know, and uh, Elisha wouldn't even come out, you know. Elisha was like stayed in the back and uh, told us, says, go tell him to go dip in a muddy Jordan River seven times. Wow, that was a that was a real blow to him. It was like, mm -hmm. that's an insult, you know. Mm -hmm. And his problem was, he had heard, I guess, he thought, that Elisha's going to come out, wave his hand over him, and he's going to be healed. That's what he thought. So the way we grew up, we say, people say, well, I thought, and we say, that's what you get for thinking. <laughs> but anyway, so that in his mind, he already had an expectation. Yeah. Set that if he was going to get healed, it was going to happen this way. The easy way. Instead, the prophet says, go dip in a muddy river. And he's like, man, aren't there even like better rivers you could choose? You know? <laughs> Why you bet to pick that river? I mean, I couldn't I like select my own river if it's just dipping a river seven times. Uh, instead, God actually chooses the river for you. And uh, when you're set on a staff at a church and connected to a certain ministry, I mean, a lot of times people say, well, I don't have to do this here, but if God sets you in your place, yeah. no matter where you go, he, you're going to have to pass the same test. That's so true. you might as well decide to pass it where you're at. Mm -hmm. good. The Lord sets you in your place and you say, okay, I'm going to pass it right here. Yeah. I ain't running, you know, I ain't hiding, and I'm going to pass this test. Mm -hmm. So uh, he got mad and he did what? He got in his chariot with the servant and Mm -hmm. uh, drove kind of like Kate. Uh, he took <laughs> off driving like a wild chariot driver. <laughs> I can see her leaving the office. <laughs> she comes back in. <laughs> you must like that because that's the way you are. Yeah, I do that. In, <laughs> in college, they called him Jehu. Jay, Jay, who was a wild chariot wild driver. Wild chariot driver. <laughs> Actually, when we were dating, I used to, I used to have a Ford Fairlane, uh, four-door uh, with three-speed, you know, on the steering wheel. So you drive like this. You don't really have a lot of power. You know, it cost me $400. Uh, but when we were dating, it had a bench seat instead of bucket seats, you know. So I could really go around the corners really fast and like throw Trina all the way over, like in my lap. I'm like, wow, she just oh, excuse me, whoa. And so, uh, you know, it helps your dating life. So uh, make her move over a little bit. So uh, uh, apparently uh, Jehu had that reputation in the Bible. So Naaman got really mad, he took off. 
I'm not going no muddy river. Plus, it's, it's, it's really pretty irrational that you would have something like leprosy and expect a muddy river to have anything to do with it. But uh, your, your instructions from the Holy Ghost have everything to do. True. With the quality of your life, whether you live or die, whether you finish your destiny or not. Mm-hmm. So he's taken off. So that he, thank God he had a good servant that mm-hmm. said, "If he would have asked you to do something difficult, you would have done it." Mm-hmm. But all he said is to dip in the muddy Jordan River seven times. So he keeps reasoning. Finally, he pulls over. What you got to lose? Goes out in the muddy water. You can imagine when you get to heaven, take a, uh, get a video of this. Goes out in the muddy water, leprosy. And he goes under, dips. One, nothing. Two, <laughs> nothing. Three. <laughs> Four, five, six, nothing. Seven. And he came up clean. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But he almost missed his miracle. So it is possible for you to miss your miracle. And you can't really blame God for it. You just missed your miracle because you wouldn't follow instructions. So, misguided expectation. I mean, he, he would have, he would have, uh, leprosy, he would have died. Instead, he just did what the Word of God said, the prophet of God said, dip seven times. So, what was his problem? Well, most of us can see clearly what his problem was. We just can't see clearly what ours is. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. easy to see other people's. That's true. <laughs> so, his problem was what? Right. He's a proud man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's an influential man. You know, he's a general. He's used to having his way. Mm-hmm. Well, when it comes to God, you know, you just can't have it your way. I mean, Burger King maybe, but not God. <laughs> when you come to God, it's just like you surrender to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Whew, it's tough dealing with if you're a strong-willed child. That grew up to be a strong-willed adult. You were not just a strong-willed child. Yeah. In other words, you still got to deal with certain things as uh, the, the work of the flesh, which is pride, and work on humbling yourself. Well, there's several ways you humble yourself. You humble yourself in your prayer life really determines, uh, is, is the clearest picture of how, how you deal with humility. If your prayer life's not strong, you basically deal with a certain arrogance that I don't need God that much. Mm -hmm. Another simple thing was when David danced before the Lord, he actually said, I will humble myself before the Lord when he danced. So sometimes people won't rejoice because they're afraid how they look to people. Mm -hmm. You know, one time the Lord told me, I was in my, even in my room alone, Praying after I prayed for a while, he said, now let's rejoice. 
And I was like, you know, I don't really feel like rejoicing. I'm, I'm pretty being spiritual right now. <laughs> so I said, Imagine how spiritual you think you are and you really can't rejoice. So uh, he said, uh, I like it when you rejoice. So I just started rejoicing. The psalmist David said, I rejoice in your word. Mm-hmm. So Dad Hagen said, the word won't work for you until you get thrilled with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can't just think about it and just act like you know everything. He said, you've got to actually rejoice over your word like you found a million dollars. Then uh, David said, I rejoice in your mercy. Wow, if you realize how much mercy it has required to get you this far, you can rejoice just because of the mercy of God. God's the Father of mercies. And you say, Lord, if it hadn't been for your mercies, I, I wouldn't even be around today. Your great mercy. And he said, I rejoice in your mercy. Rejoice in his presence. But I thought it's interesting. David said, uh, and his, his wife was Saul's daughter, who the Bible says from that day she was what? Barren. What was her problem? She came from Saul. What's his problem? Pride is his problem. Right. That's true. Right. So she's got the same thing. She, so she said, David, you look like a fool. Well, David is a, is a giant killer, man. He knows what it takes to kill a giant. And everybody don't kill giants. Let's try that again. I said, everybody don't kill giants. That's true. A lot of people are killed by giants. So if you're going to be a giant killer, you got to find out what makes a giant killer. And so David is a giant killer, but man, he and he was ushering in the glory of God, which it was a terrible thing because they had lost the glory. Basically, they're going through, you know, God's still our God and all that, but they had no glory. So David said, I want the glory back. So he tried to bring it back his way, and he had to bring it back how? He had to bring it back with real loud praising, yeah. real loud singing and rejoicing, and they put blood every 20 feet. So he's blood conscious, Mm -hmm. rejoicing. And then David, boom, threw his royal uh, robe off and danced before the Lord with all of his might. So it wasn't a pretty thing. Some people would receive more from God if they weren't so concerned about being pretty. (laughs) So when David danced... His wife said, you look like a fool. Well, it's great to have encouragement at the house. So, (laughs) and David could have ruined it for every man. If he would have said, I'm sorry, honey, I'll never do that again. But instead, maybe first man to talk back to his wife, gave us a sample of how it's possible. So David said, said, what? I shall be yet more vile than this. (laughs) And then he said, what? Aha, uh-huh. the, the Lord is the one that made me king. Mm-hmm. I was dancing before the Lord. Mm-hmm. He said, it wasn't your daddy. Mm-hmm. In other words, we say in the South, I don't know about Colorado, but we say you got to dance with who brung you. Right, so if you don't dance who brung you, you have no ride home. So <laughs> That's true. you got to know who brung you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you got to say, it was the grace of God. Yeah. The mercy of God. Amen. Goodness of God. Wow. To God be the glory. Yeah. And so when David, he just rejoiced. You know, we don't really have a specific kind of dance or a 
churches would probably have those lessons. But we don't really have, you know, a dance a leotard class, you know. I'm sure glad. But when David, he just started rejoicing, you know, with all of his might. And if you study David, I mean, he was pretty much a, a with all his might kind of guy. When it came time to give over and above, it says, I'm prepared with all my might. This is not something that does not affect me. Right. And he gave with all of his might. And so one of my great missionaries said this. He said one time, he said, wherever you are, be all there. Mm-hmm. Wherever you are, be all there. So wherever the Lord has set you, you have to kind of like, all right. Don't be always wishing you were somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's good. Don't be always thinking about where you're going next, you know, or where you would like to be. If you can't be all there where you are, God can never take you to the next place. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can go to the next place, but God will not take you. That's home. good. So you serve with all of your heart. And so David's that kind of a guy. So he told his wife, I shall yet be more vile than this. I don't know. He let her have it, didn't he? So he must have he must have got worse. So obviously he didn't do that all the time, but he wasn't afraid to do it whenever you know the glory or the manifested presence of God was there. He wasn't afraid to praise, come on in front of other people or rejoice in front of other people without being so concerned what they think about it. So my mother was like what I call a first responder. Is if she was in a meeting. And my mother was a, um, a praiser. You know, she started off everything. She was like the most, uh, the uh, maybe loudest praiser, but not, you know, out of order. But if people start praising the Lord, she's just like, boom, first one in praising the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, then my mother, she would rejoice. And most times she rejoiced by running. She was like, run around the church you know she did that till she was like 80 something she even did it at my dad's funeral which most people probably thought was a little strange because he had like how many people like 2500 people from a little town that's almost everybody in town at my dad's funeral and my mother had been depressed i mean she was like he died you know and he left me here i can't believe he died and she's like the house is empty and you got all these memories and I, we could just tell i've never seen my mother you know that sad so it came to the funeral she was still like kind of in shock maybe dealing with depression and so she asked me to get up and and uh talk and i said no mommy you know my dad just died i really cannot get up and talk i I don't think i can do it she said please for me so i got up and i started talking about 50 years of the faithfulness of god and what had happened in 50 years and then i heard my mama she said my trainer i heard my mama go Hallelujah. <laughs> so, she would rev her engines first. Yeah, she would go, Hallelujah. 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 And so I went, Wow. She so, never uh, just did that just to do that. No. But she did that in response to yeah. the word that that's was in Yeah, she's never trying to draw attention to herself. Yeah. You know, that's a whole different thing. So she's sitting by trend on one side, and who don't know who's sitting on the other side. The other side of my mom, my faith, my sister. So 
So we had all the leaders in the community, all the bank presidents, chamber of commerce, you know, <laughs> everybody, you know, my dad was like involved in all that. And uh, so uh, my mama went, hallelujah, and she took off running around the church. <laughs> and we had having it in a bigger uh, place, the gym, and only hold the people. So mama took off running and I started laughing. And mama broke that uh, depression off of her. And she lived five more years, which we were sure happy she didn't die, that she lived. And uh, she ran. She starts rejoicing and praising. She's like the first responder, praising God and rejoicing. And, uh, you know, you got like the chief of police and you got all these, all these <laughs> political figures, you know, in the, in the service. And, you know, and we were all like, you know, Dealing with uh, disappointment. I, I'm a preacher's kid, so I dealt with it maybe a little different, you know, pretty much rebellious a lot of my life. So people would come and tell me, oh, your dad's in a better place. I would say, yeah, why don't you shut up? <laughs> I didn't say the other word, go to, but I just said, why don't you shut up? So um, I'm the one dealing with this. And you're probably just mad because you can't get another appointment. That's your problem. So actually, one lady came to me and said, who am I going to talk to now? I said, well, I'll go talk to the devil, why don't you? So in other words, she waste all of my dad's time, you know. All she could think about was herself. In the middle of that, hope prevailed. Because your hope reached into the presence of God. Attached to the mercy seat. That's a cheerful, confident expectation that the goodness of God will prevail. Praise God. Mm -hmm. So, the last one here is called a positive expectation. So, the positive expectation is something you just have to work on in yourself. Because positive expectation really takes your hope into what we call faith. And faith is the victory. Mm -hmm. So your hope and your faith really are super connected. So you go from a positive expectation right into Mark chapter 5, verse 34. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Mm -hmm. Go in peace and behold your blood. So a uh, positive expectation is the picture of the woman that's your blood. I mean, she's in a hopeless situation. She's bleeding to death and lost all her money, spent all her money. All the doctors treated her. She's getting worse. But when she heard of Jesus, when she heard of Jesus, the first thing she did is she said. So that means a positive expectation must have a positive confession. That's good. So the moment... She heard of Jesus. I believe she thought, well, my next 12 years will not be like my last 12 years. Mm -hmm. So when she heard of Jesus, and she must have heard anybody or everybody that just touches him. You don't have to have a hug. You don't need an introduction. Mm -hmm. Come on. You don't need an appointment. Just a touch from Jesus. One touch. And people with incurable diseases are healed. So first thing she did, positive expectation, she said, 
she said. So if you're going to train yourself in positive expectation, you're going to have to start saying some things. Yeah. Things that may look impossible. Things yeah. that may look like they'll never change. You have to start making a positive confession based on your positive expectation, which is what? Cheerful, confident expectation that the goodness of God will prevail. Matter of fact, they won some battles in the Old Testament by just saying what? The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. In other words, that's what we're, that's what we're basing our expectation on. And while they were going forward, the Lord fought their battle for them. So that's a positive confession. So number one, she said. Number two, that she didn't just sit there and wish, you know. Yeah. She started moving. And she started heading towards Jesus. And she kept on saying. So apparently it wasn't just something she said once. Well, the positive expectation is something that you, you said many times. And so she's speaking. And if you had walked by her, you would have heard her talking. And it's her speaking that kept her moving. Yeah, that's true. And she's weak and she's uh, hurting. And she just keeps moving. What an, what an example of, of faith. Yep. Amen. She gets to Jesus. Well, there's a crowd. So she pressed through the crowd. Well, most people say she wasn't even supposed to be out, you know, there. But, but she just pressed. Suppressed means, you know, it wasn't easy. Everybody wasn't moving out of the way for her. So a lot of times people want success if everybody just moved out of the way for her. But she like pressed, pressed. <laughs> and then she touched the hem of his garment. So she didn't get a, a hug. She just touched. One touch, one touch, she just touched. And immediately, what happened? She felt in her body, she received the anointing. It's tangible. Jesus felt the anointing go out of him. She felt it go into her. I mean, if you're really living with a positive expectation, man, you should feel something sometimes. <laughs> You should feel God. You should feel the Spirit of God. You should feel the anointing of God coming to help you and strengthen you. So she felt. And Jesus felt. And Jesus turned around to see who did this. So it's a classic story that Brother Hagin said Jesus told him. Jesus said, uh, Brother Hagin would say, I've got, I've got two sermons I preach on the woman this year of blood. And he said, I've got two different sermons. He said, but every time I preach on it, it seems like I'm missing something. And he said, Jesus smiled at him and said, uh, well, you are missing something. <laughs> Sad when you're preaching a sermon for years and you're still missing something. You know, you're like, everybody else knows you're missing something. You know you're missing something. <laughs> and uh, so, so Jesus said, write these things down. One, two, three, four. Anybody that does these four steps will always receive whatever they want or need from God. Not only healing, but anything else. He, the name of his sermon is How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. Mm -hmm. That's Brother Hagin's sermon. But he got it from Jesus. Mm -hmm. He said, when you get it, a sermon from Jesus, it will bear repeating. Mm -hmm. Some of your sermons, he said, I'll never make it through one preaching. I mean, you're just <laughs> like, God, help me to get through this one sermon. <laughs> so, so fourth thing she said, it, she did it. Then she received it. So it was, it's her positive expectation that positioned her 
to receive the power of God. Very, very interesting how people receive the anointing or they don't receive it. And they're good people. They're not bad people. Maybe even good Christians. But the anointing or the power of God is something maybe just beyond their intellect or something. And so they don't know how to receive it. And I have to confess, when Brother Hagin first came to my dad's church, I didn't know how to receive it. I was 17 years old, and I saw, you know, other people getting touched by the anointing, and I thought, you know, this is good. You know, I believe in it, but, you know, I, I'm not really getting nothing. Mm -hmm. If you'd ask me, I'd say, you know, I'm not really getting nothing, but I really enjoy it. Hmm. But I'm not getting nothing. Hmm. So... I listened to Brother Hagin, and he said, you know, talk about the anointing, like electricity, how to receive it, make contact with it. Contact. Yeah. How to make contact, you know, receive that anointing. And he said, next time I come around you, you say to yourself, when he touches me, I believe I receive the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That anointing will go into my spirit, soul, and body, will make me whole, make me well. When he gets, so what you're doing is you're making a positive expectation, declaration while the anointing's flowing. And some people are receiving it and some don't even have a clue what's happening. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, they're good people. So I never criticize them because I, I had the same experience. Yeah. But once I learned how to receive positive expectation, mm -hmm. aha, next thing I knew, I had to get myself up off the floor. And I wasn't practicing falling either. I was like, <laughs> boom, I hit the floor. I'm like, well, something just happened to me. So the power of God's real, the anointing's real, but only a positive expectation will receive that anointing. So she touched him, and Jesus turned about and said, who, who touched my clothes? My favorite translation says, Jesus studied the faces in the crowd to see who made contact with him. Mm -hmm. huh. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Like, so apparently Jesus, as Jesus is Jesus, did not know who touched him. Mm -hmm. He's functioning as a man. He's not functioning as deity. He had to lay aside that power. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he's functioning as a prophet under the law with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So he didn't know who touched him. So he, he just looked around to see who touched him. He's like, who touched me? The disciples said what? Lord, you know, that's a pretty stupid question. I mean, to ask you You've got like thousands of people here and hundreds pushing on you, touching a pretty stupid question. Uh, you know, people think they always know the obvious answer. Uh, but um, Jesus never really asked stupid questions. So if he's asking you one, it might be significant. So he said, who, who touched me? And it says he looked around, so I think it was the, um, I forget, I remember the second translation that said uh, he studied the faces in the crowd to see who made contact with him. Because you cannot make contact with Jesus and not change your countenance. Right. I mean, you can follow Jesus and you can touch Jesus out of curiosity, but you cannot make contact with Jesus without it affecting your countenance your expectation, your life. So he, he studied the face, looked around to see her that had done this thing. And apparently he's looking at people and everybody's like, you know, have the same kind of human look. And when he looks at her, she, she's like, she's kind of lit, you know, she's like. Yeah. Jesus goes, I think it was you. 
So <laughs> I picked you. So she, out of all those thousands of people, received the anointing, the power of God, and thousands of people did not receive anything. So a lot of people think if they just get close to Jesus, they're going to be all right. They're going to receive. You don't receive just because you're hanging around him. I mean, Jesus even let Peter sink while he was walking with him on the water. He said, well, I know the Lord is here. Yeah, you can sink, and he'll, he'll see you say you're sinking. <laughs> and then if you cry out to him, he'll help you get back up on the water, and then he'll ask you, you know, what's wrong with you? Why did you doubt? Yeah. So he saw this woman. She's lit up. So she told him her story. Well, I've got a, a book um, uh, that gives you uh, how things work. So it gives you a cross section of how everything works. Mm -hmm. So in that book, you know, it's a pretty big book. You buy it at some big bookstore. And it tells you how a diesel engine works but it shows you the inside of the engine, how an air conditioner works, how uh, a ship works, and it lets you look inside. So the one that's your blood is a classic story <laughs> of how faith works. Because Jesus said, daughter, your faith made you whole. Amen. Go in peace and be holy your place. It was not the sovereignty of God, it was her faith or her positive expectation. Wow, that connected her to the power of God. Mm. A positive expectation. So while everybody else must have walked away disappointed, one woman is walking out of there like, I got a miracle. Right? What made her different? What made her different, everybody else, is those four things. She had a positive expectation. She said it. She started moving with that expectation. Then she received the power of God. And then she told it. So it begins with saying, ends with telling. So every time you tell about how the Lord has helped you or delivered you or strengthened you, it affects your faith. So that's why you need people to tell. Testify. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, you maybe have symptoms try to come back on you. Yep. But if you will testify how the Lord delivered you, Amen. that will not come back on you. Yeah. Jesus told that woman, go in peace and be whole with your plague. What he's telling her is this condition will never return. Mm -hmm. Go and be whole. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. So, four kinds of expectation. And uh, those expectations, you're going to live by one, two, three of those and you have to determine to school yourself, my soul. Wait till I only upon God. My expectation is for you. All right?